How are you doing, Carrie? I'm great. So this podcast is a, a brand new podcast. It's the first episode. Thanks for being my guest on this first episode. And, you know, um, we are just uh, talking about like kind of how to be a music teacher or, you know, things that will help music teachers in general, what you've learned as a, as, as a private music teacher. And, um, you know, just, I feel like there's a, there's a need out there for me. Like my big thing is like, I start a podcast when I want to start learning about something and be mm-hmm. better at something. Yeah. So I, I tend to do that. And that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so um, anyways, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, how long have you been teaching? What's your educational experience? And Okay. Um, I've been teaching probably about seven years. Got my degree from the U of U in music ed. Taught junior high choir for a couple of years. And oh, cool. Taken lessons for quite a long time. Just kind of always wanted to be a piano teacher. Oh, that's That's, awesome. That was kind of my plan. (laughs) Oh, that was great. That's great. That's very cool. So you got actually got an education in, uh, or degree in music education specifically. Yes. Oh, that's cool. I got mine in music composition and am now teaching like tons of lessons, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't ever planning on. I was planning on going and working and writing music and doing, you know, Uh doing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes that happens and that's okay. So I'm, I, I, sometimes it feels like Mr. Holland's opus where I was like, Oh, I want to be a composer, but I'm just a teacher. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. And I hate that movie because like, <laughs> it's like, you know, every musician is a teacher in some way. And, and mm-hmm. so even if you're not technically a music in, instructor, you know, I think that you have, there's some value in, in, in listening to this kind of thing and, and talking about this kind of thing and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So anyways, today we're talking about like kind of value add. Okay. You know, it's kind of like a business term, like what do you bring to the table and and you know, uh, um for me like my big thing with with my all my students and all the instruments I teach is just like composition and improvisation. Mm, yeah. I try to kind of like bring that as like that's what I can bring different than other people and mm-hmm. that's what's interesting about me as a teacher and so, you know, what 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 do you bring to the table that's different or interesting or I guess like about four years ago, I got my certification in Suzuki teaching, which is learning by ear for the first couple of books. And I really love that they teach technique before yeah. they teach reading. It's what they call the mother tongue approach. Right. Because kids learn by listening to the language before they actually ever speak the language. And piano should be kind of the same way. I've seen so many young kids quit by about level two because they're trying to read and play correctly and count all at the same time. And it gets overwhelming. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've noticed some parents will come to me and they say, my kid doesn't know the note names. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, the note names are an abstract. <laughs> they're, they're a level that we as adults put in between playing and what's on the page. Mm-hmm. And the kids get what's on the page and playing really easily. The note names are a distraction. For yeah. Them. So that's really kind of a cool thing. Tell us more about Suzuki and how that how that works. So for the whole first book, they just focus on how to play. They listen to a CD and they watch the teacher and you just do little repetitions until they've learned the whole song. And young kids can start playing hands together songs and really hard stuff, but they're all focusing on how to play correctly before you ever add reading. That's kind of if if you think about language, I mean that really that 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 coordinates really easily yeah, with that. It, just, it makes we, sense. We don't teach reading before we teach speaking. Yeah, and I think that 
the idea, you know, I used to be kind of the, the kind of person who was like, everyone reads music and reading music is, is the most important thing. And then I realized reading music is not music. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, we can play and there's lots of musicians out there who play who don't even read music at all. Mm-hmm. And is their music less value, valid in that way? I, I don't know how that it's just works. just a different yeah, skill. It's a different skill for sure. Very cool. That's good. How, how does that um, translate as the kids grow into their music education as, as, as they grow up? How does that, how have you found that, that, that helps or hurts as they continue on learning to read music or learning to, to sight read and that kind of thing? Since they've already been playing for quite a few years and we don't have to you know, remind them, keep your wrists up, play on your fingertips. They've just been doing that. The reading actually comes quite quickly, especially if they've heard the song before and mm-hmm. I don't know, they, they have a joy of it because they can play what they want to play faster. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten older kids that start lessons and like, oh, well, I'm not playing the songs that I want to play yet because they they're not at that level yet. Yeah. I have some students who have great musical talent, but we are on book number one mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, so boring. Do I really have to play the spring song? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to play the spring song, but we're also going to do like you know, some other stuff. So when you have older students who start in that kind of thing, how do you approach that, that, that kind of divide between their ability and then the, the, the reading music type of thing? How do you, how do you approach that? I try to look for, I don't know, they have the five finger songs out there, Mm -hmm. primary songs. I try to incorporate a whole bunch of things besides just the method books. Right. And the primary songs are a religious, uh, right. Religious. So, they're a religious song for the LDS church. We're, we're both um, LDS Mormons. We live in Utah. So that's kind of like the world we live in. Lots yeah. of people here are Mormons. So, you know, that comes up a lot and stuff, the primary songs and the hymns from the church. Everybody wants their kids to be able to play those as well. Yeah. So um, there's a big tradition in the Mormon church of playing piano. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you're not good, you'll get you'll get to play the piano in the Mormon church. Oh, yes. For sure. So <laughs> Yeah, just the when Frozen came out. I got a hold of all the different levels of the frozen mm-hmm. songs and the kids really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. trying to incorporate as much as I can get. That's fun. That they'll play. That's very cool. So, um, you still do, you still approach it from a reading music uh, standpoint with those yeah, older I have, kids? I have half and half, half of them do the Suzuki by ear and half of right. them do regular. Oh, cool. What you'd call traditional lessons. I traditional guess. Traditional lessons. Very cool. Awesome. Um, one of the things, uh, I think that's really interesting about, uh, teaching older students, especially is just, um, I have a hard time reading them. Do you ever have a hard time reading older students? Mm -hmm. And when we say older, we're like anywhere from, I'm going to say 11 to 18 after 18, they start and and maybe like 17 or 16, they start to kind of become they feel like real people again, you yeah. know, they're like, <laughs> they can laugh and they can kind of respond to you. But from like 11 to like 16, I kind of have a hard time reading them. Are you having a good time in this lesson? Is this terrible? Are you frustrated at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do a lot of like checking in with them. You know, I say, so how's this lesson going? Are you enjoying this? Is this helpful? Is this what you want to be working on? Yeah. And a lot of times I'll get the response like, yeah, this is great. This is what I want to be working on. But sometimes I'll get that response of like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And I hate this. And so how do you check in with your kids or how do you, how do you kind of gauge that? Um, I, I do a lot of talking to them and the parents. Cause I found right when they hit seventh, eighth grade, 
life sucks and we don't want to do piano anymore. We hate this. And I just keep telling him, if you can push through middle school, keep taking lessons, get through middle school, get to high school, it becomes fun again. Yeah. Like, well, we want to play all these songs. We want to, like, I know that, but you got to put in the work now and practice and keep practicing. Right. Get through these awful years and someday you'll like it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's that lifelong learning model, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so hard to get kids to see through that. And sometimes it's hard to get parents to see through that, yeah. too. Um, the, the big thing with parents sometimes is practicing. They're like, oh, my kid, I can't get my kid to practice, so we're not going to do lessons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that's kind of a defeatist behavior where it's like, I understand, but that kid has to take responsibility for it. Yeah. So if you can let them take responsibility for it, if you can help them, like, just, you know, say... I don't, it's almost like, I don't care if you practice or not, you know, mm-hmm. like take your emotion out of it. It's like, yeah. sometimes as parents, I have this with my kids in practicing. I have a big <laughs> red button on my forehead that says, you know, I teach you piano lessons. You need to practice. And and they're like, oh, hey, look at that big red button. I'm going to push it as much as I can until you're yeah. mad. Mm-hmm. And so as like, I, I, I think we, as, as teachers, sometimes we have to take that button off of our parents' head and we say, sometimes they're not going to practice and we have to like flow with it and let yeah. them kind of get through that and stuff. And yeah, I, don't mm-hmm. know, I think that's kind of interesting. And especially with younger kids, if it becomes a habit, like I, I have my two, I teach two of my kids, my own kids. Yeah. It's just, you have to practice. You don't get to watch TV or play with friends or you have to practice. It's exactly. just one of the things you have to do, but I have to sit with them. But you still have to sit with them. Yes. Yeah. Because they don't, they can't practice on their own. She's one is nine and one is five. Mm-hmm. They can't fix mistakes. So I sit down with them and we practice. See, that's a really interesting approach. I, I do it completely different. So I want to hear more about how your approach works. Well, I found with your own kids, yeah. right? Like not with, uh, with other students, but with your mm-hmm. own kids. Cause it is, uh, other kids, they will practice and, and get through it and come to lessons and be fairly prepared. Yeah. Your own kids will never do that. They're just like, <laughs> nope. Did you practice this week? No, I didn't practice this week. And I don't want to do this. Go ahead. Tell mm-hmm. me, tell me about your approach. I think it's interesting. Well, we just have a more focused session. So we don't, it's not, okay, we have to practice for a half hour or it's, Let's do the things that we need to get done today. So we'll just repeat one measure a couple times. Right. And then practicing gets done, but they can see that they're getting better. And I don't know, they just, they don't argue because I'm sitting right there with them and they know that I'm there to help them. Oh, that's cool. So my approach is, is literally the exact opposite where um, I have, and, and it's an attitude thing for, mm-hmm. for me and my, and my kids. So this wouldn't work for every parent teacher, you know, parent slash teacher teaching their children, but for my children who are who they are, you know, this works really well. So for them, I found that lessons, like their actual lesson time mm-hmm. can really only be about 15 minutes before we want to kill each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, it's done. We can't do any more and, and any more than that. And it's just, it's, it's gone. And then with their practicing, it is literally they're on their own. And I have them do a lot of improvisation and mm-hmm. a lot of writing their own music. So they really enjoy that. But it really is something where they take their own responsibility and they do it. I, I try to set up some of the same kind of restrictions, you know, no video games before you you practice your piano or, you know, at the end of school, let's make sure we get that piano done. Mm-hmm. And, but it doesn't always 
get done either. Yeah. So they have that responsibility. So it's a different approach, not better or worse, no. you know, but or maybe worse. <laughs> I'm willing to admit it might be worse. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that they progress slower because of that. You know, they don't progress as quickly. Uh, but um, my younger son, who's seven, loves the piano and he mm-hmm. has really kind of t- taken that and just run with it. My older son is deaf. So he me, playing a musical instrument is never really in his interest. He's not, he does it because he has to, not because uh-huh. he's, he loves music. Um, he loves listening to music. He does, he's not interested in making music. Mm-hmm. He wants to make video games. That's what he <laughs> wants to do. So, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. Like, that's two very different. Um, parent slash mm-hmm. teacher approaches to teaching your own kids. And what about your lessons with your, with your own personal kids? How did those work out? We actually don't really have lessons. Oh, because you have like that, that, yeah, we just, that practice time. We don't have they, an official lesson. We yeah. just pass off the song as they get really good at it and go on to something else. Oh, that's great. That's a good way to like really kind of, uh, um, put the onus of their own self learning in yeah. there. They're learning, they're teaching themselves as they go along. Mm hmm. Another thing that I really love to have the kids do is have a song ready to perform at all times. Oh, really? So their old recital song, if they don't have anything else memorized or performance ready, we'll keep playing it at every lesson until they have have something else. Just, you know, you go to somebody's house and, oh, you play the piano, play me a song. Oh, I don't have my books. I Yeah, that's a very good point. And I I do that as well. But it's it's a lot less informal for me. It's like, this would be a good song to just whip out and play for somebody Mm -hmm. when they ask you to, you know, and then I kind of do that. What I do is I have a list of fun to play songs. Mm -hmm. So once they pass it off, I'm like, all right, we're putting this in the fun to play list for a couple of weeks, for a few weeks to uh, iterate on it and to perfect it and to get it better and to get it just, you know, just, just a little bit more because the the checking off is a big deal for my kids and my parents. They're like, did they check off anything this yeah. week? Okay, calm down. <laughs> Gotta switch that che- mindset. Checking off is not like it's not like school. It's you know, so there's a different. The kids get to check off when the notes are there and everything is. The song is basically you know formed and it's and it's got good musical sense. Mm-hmm. But then we iterate on it in the fun to play list. Yes. Where they get to kind of go over it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I like having the recital ready piece ready to go. Yeah. Like so that it it's it, that's kind of a good value add for your parents of like, hey, your kid can play something at any point. Yeah. And they're ready to go. That's, that's very cool. That's one thing you have to fight with parents is the polishing. Been playing the same song for a long time. Yes, we're Kids don't like to polish things like my notes are right. My rhythm is right. Let's move on. Yeah. New song. Next yeah, there's song. a level there that I don't need to do. How do you, how do you kind of work with that, with the polishing and the, I use a lot of color. I'll have them color in their music, color in the dynamics. Cause I found kids don't see them cause everything's black and white right. on the page. So they don't see them. So we add color and we tell the parents we want them not to just play like robots, but to play beautifully. Yeah. Cause that's when you go to a concert. Wow. That was so beautiful. Well, even little kid songs can be that way too. Yeah, they can be absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. if they're played musically. Yeah. So okay, so color—that's interesting. Yeah, I'm a guy, color so all like over their music. Yeah, so the whole crafts <laughs> thing that just doesn't you know fly with me as well. I don't I don't go there, and I'm like, all right, and here's our box of crayons, and let's color on our music. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's although I will have like my younger kids draw pictures on the mm. pages sometimes. Nice. You know. Um, if they, especially if they get to a point in the book where they're like, they can't go any further. We need to iterate on, on the songs that they have yeah. so far, or they need additional materials to kind of like iterate even farther so they can 
you learn mm-hmm. those concepts even more. I'll leave blank space on those pages for them to kind of draw in and, nice. and have fun with. So, do you ever work horizontally with levels? Um, describe that to me. So I so I know after what you mean. like the Faber books, a lot of kids use the mm-hmm. Faber books. Once they've done that primer level. I won't move them up to level one yet. I'll, okay, let's try the Alfred primers. Exactly. Because I found that they that, don't really know the notes quite well enough right. to jump into the next level. So we'll just, I'll just throw more reading books at them. Yeah, I actually have a child who's autistic. Um, he has uh, Asperger's syndrome. And I found that that has been a very successful method with him is just like hitting all of the different method books. Mm-hmm. And instead of moving on to the next level, because his, his specific kind of uh, traits and, and things, he's extremely talented and can play literally anything from ear. Nice. But as far, and we do tons of that as well. Like, you know, we, we, he's learning to play Tetris now completely from <laughs> ear, you know, that's what the, the Tetris theme song and he wants to play on the recital. He's really excited about that. <laughs> so he's going to get to do that. But, um, you know, as far as like, Iterating on those concepts, that's a great way of doing it. It's like working horizontally with those kids. And mm-hmm. and I do it with my younger students, but I provide, I actually write the materials for them so it's specific to them. Nice. So I'll go on, like uh, I use Muse Score instead of Finale or Sibelius, and I'll just write a little, little song for them. And we'll put it into their binder mm. right behind the song they're working on. I'll give it some silly name like Sideways Hamster or, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> Two Foot Rabbit or something like that, you know. And, and and that really helps them kind of iterate and work horizontally until they're ready for that next level yeah. of moving to like both hands together or something like that. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I really need to kind of delve more into... I have my different, my, my, I have my book set that I'm, I, I work with yeah. and I need to, I need to break out of that a little bit more and, and kind of bring in more materials from other book sets as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to have parents when they're done with the books, give them back to me. Like instead of throwing them out or giving them to DI, I just collect all the piano books. So oh, I just have them. Oh Yeah. So you can just, oh, here's one, borrow this one, take oh, this one. Oh, there you go. So you have kind of like a rotating library of music books yeah. that you use. I have all the ones from my childhood, all of my siblings. Wow. So, we just, so I can just throw anything at them so they don't have to buy right. all the different levels because most parents don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, keep a, I keep a kind of a stash of books. Mm-hmm. So when a, a child is ready for the next one, I just, okay, well, here's the book. It's brand new and the parents reimburse me for it and stuff. Yeah. It, that makes it because they don't have to search it out and find mm-hmm. it and get the wrong thing. And Oh, you got level like six instead of level two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, that never happens. But, um, but I like the idea of a rotating library. That's cool. I've never thought of that. Oh, man. I'm getting so many great ideas already <laughs> just by having this conversation with you. Um, anyways, what, what else do you do that, that you think would be value to, uh, to other music teachers? Technique and rhythm are just really important to me. Kids, they have a hard time with rhythm trying to read well because they're not really good readers yet. But I do lots of counting out loud and different methods of counting because I'll, I'll play Mary Had a Little Lamb without the correct rhythm and they can't figure out what the song is. Right. Then I'll play it with the correct rhythm. I'm like, oh. That's really cool. Rhythm, rhythm before notes for me. If the rhythm is good and you can kind of tell what the song is. Everything else will eventually fall into place. Yeah. One of the things I say sometimes is that the difference between professional and, and 
well, semi-professional, professional musicians and amateurs is rhythm. Mm -hmm. And it really is true. You can play wrong notes. Even professional musicians play wrong notes, but that rhythm is right yep, on. You have to be spot it has on. to be right on. Mm -hmm. We've done some uh, even musicals together, you know, yeah. where, uh, and that was kind of, that was a fun experience, um, especially since you are so on with rhythm. I love that. <laughs> and I love that. And, and it, you know, it really kind of carried the orchestra as we, as we kind of put that together and, um, and, and keeping that rhythm together. That's the thing I would say to the orchestra is like, cause it, the orchestra was like little kids all the way up to yeah. old, old folks, you know, as a community mm -hmm. orchestra. And when you do that, you've got to get that rhythm together. And those kids, once they figured out that, that I was very serious about that, they locked into that rhythm. We rarely got stray notes that yeah. were sticking out, which is, mm -hmm. the, that's the worst thing in the world is stray notes that are like, <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to play yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. So that's great. And tons of metronome. Oh, metronome. I hated it when I was growing up, yeah. but I have a testimony of metronomes now. You have a testimony of metronomes. <laughs> Once, especially, I mean, I don't know, I have to play with them for a long time with the metronome so they can figure out how to stay with it. But uh -huh. When, once they hit about fifth, sixth grade, we do everything with the metronome. Well, tell me more about that. Um, like just introducing your, because I don't, I sometimes bring up a metronome for the kids, mm -hmm. but in general, I'll, I'll snap my fingers yeah. and I'll count for them and I'll be that metronome for them instead exactly. of like using an actual do, 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 mm -hmm. right metronome. And now they're all on phones and stuff. So they're yeah. all, they're all free all, now. Yeah. They're all <laughs> tons of free metronomes on your iPads. But how do you introduce that to, to kids and how, how do they, how do they react to that? How do they kind of come up to that? We, I start it with scales. So in about level two, I'll introduce all the scales and we'll learn them hands alone. And then after we've been through them all, we'll go back and start in with the metronome. So they have to play each note with the click so they get used to it. So it's not an actual song, but it's something right. that they can handle that's short so they get used to hearing the oh, click and trying idea. to stay with it. Yeah, stay with it. And I'm I'm sure that Hannon would work well with that as yes. well. Mm -hmm. So um, my older kids, I, I with them, you know, we play. I, I introduce Hannon pretty early because I find they need just that finger strength working, yep. and it's a long exercise that works everything both ways. And I love to tell them now this is an exercise that will annoy everyone in your family. And of course, like, seriously, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just play this nonstop, and they're like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and they actually kind of enjoy that. Oh, this is going to annoy everyone. Um, but that would be good to introduce metronome playing to that and, mm -hmm. and get that going. So, and lots of hands Very alone cool. playing. One hand, when left hand versus the right hand. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 a good technique as well. So very cool. Well, Carrie, um, I think we're I think we're kind of come to the end here. Um, and uh, what I just have a couple questions for you, real quick. And hopefully, this will be like a recurring thing where I ask everybody. But mm -hmm. what is your favorite actual method to teach from piano wise? I've really liked the Faber series so far. You like the Faber series? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. They they break it down so even the early levels, a parent could sit down and teach their kid. Yeah, that's true. If there wasn't a piano teacher around, they've they break everything down. They have performance, technique, lesson, tons of reading material. And I've I've found with those books, they have just lots of descriptions within the book themselves. Mm -hmm. So it really does kind of uh, self teach if you wanted to go that way. Yeah, yeah. And they sure. have places for improv and composition, transposing. Yeah. So they kind of try to put the whole thing. Get a whole package deal yeah. together. Oh, that's great. 
And then uh, the other question is, what are you working on right now musically yourself? Um, I'm doing a lot of accompanying for violin students. Cool. Big songs, and I'm also in a quartet piano group. Seriously? Well, tell us about your quartet piano group. It's just four of us, and we find two piano four-hand or eight-hand songs. Working on a Carmen fantasy by Wilberg and Stars and Stripes, the Bumblebee Boogie. Oh, that's cool. Do you guys have a Facebook or a, a website or anything yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys doing it for fun? Or are you going to perform at some point? We did perform in one of the other teachers' recitals. And we're mm-hmm. Another one of our group is working on a recital. And oh, cool. Performing hers, too. Oh, that's so much fun. Oh, four-person four uh, piano quartet. That's insane. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> pianists in general they don't get that that chance to play in a group like that as not often, very often yeah. right like accompanying yeah that happens non-stop like mm-hmm. i still get requests all the time to accompany people for church songs or for this or that or the next thing right um but as far as like being the member of a group you know you got some orchestra stuff will happen every once in a while but not for young students no um and then after that that's it's it's hard it's hard to find that kind of group experience yeah. uh, for these for these kids especially um for one of my kids i actually teamed him up with some of his friends who are also taking lessons with them and they they formed a band very <laughs> so cool we all learned one song together and i taught each one of them individually the song and mm-hmm. then before the recital we all got together and we played it together you know very fun and you know for their level it was they were playing chords and they were playing rhythm and they were doing it there was no they actually asked me to you know play a solo over a guitar solo over top of it so that it would sound like a good song and so we did that but the 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 band you know it really kind of that helped them but finding mm-hmm. that for every piano student is so much work it is hard i did a duet recital a couple of years ago and it was a lot of work that trying is to get yeah kids together to play ensemble and that feels like a nightmare for me it was it was big 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 production yeah seriously well carrie thanks so much for uh being on our debut uh, episode of uh, One More Time and um, I hope that uh, yeah I hope to have you back because this has been a good conversation I've learned a ton so alright you're welcome thanks mm-hmm.